0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Presenting the very best panels, seminars, and other discussions concerning game design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show. Episode 57. So you're making your first game... Recorded at Meditopia 2014. Presented by John Adamus and Mark Richardson.
1: I won't microphone
0: use my microphone. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, John. I will use a microphone. <laughs> All right. God help us.
1: The following may include language not appropriate for
0: anyone under,
1: wait, hold on, this is the internet age, so most people are okay with this.
0: I am not safe for work, Just <laughs> <the same. laughs> I don't know, it's, yeah, it's like 504 or, or something. Fine, fuck it, we're starting, see, there goes the profanity already. Um, Okay. Close the Absolutely. Absolutely. People will either find us or not. And if you're here, hello. Um, hi guys. So ooh, I sound good. Yeah, I'm not going to stop calling myself out on it. You sound through the microphone. So, uh, this is so you're making your first game, uh, also collectively called John Games Mark Shit for an hour. Uh, <laughs> This is the same panel that it was at Gen Con. If anybody was at Gen Con this year, we did the exact same thing, only now we're going to be a little bit more detailed, because now we know what we're doing. So I'm John, and that's Mark. And he's Canadian, and we're all very sorry for that. So we're going to talk about what it's like to make our first games. Uh, how many people are still making their first game? Is there's like nine of you in here? Oh, this is fantastic. We've never had this before. So, yeah,
1: yeah. when we did this at Gen Con, it was more like, how many people were working in their first game? It was like one person. We had a pretty good turnout. We,
0: oh, we had but there was, people.
1: Yeah, but there wasn't that many people who were really working on their own. They were just, just curious. Yeah. And, and curious and, is good. Well, I no, mean, curious was good, and I'm fairly certain you know, many of them decided not to make <laughs> their own first game after that panel. But We were very supportive and encouraging. Yeah. You're screwed. Um, uh, no. Yes. no. Well, it's, it's a challenge. It is uh, a challenge. Absolutely. So uh, I I guess
0: perspective-wise, so I, when did you, you started? Uh, I started, uh, um, I started making this game uh, in my head about two years ago. And it started as a series of ideas because they were interesting. It then developed into the, I really like this stuff. Uh, I'm dating a woman who really likes this stuff. So it just made sense to keep talking about this stuff because it's constantly a thing in my life. Then I started writing it down. That was 40 drafts ago. Uh, what I brought this week to test is draft number 40 of my game. Okay. You know, I don't number my drafts because
1: it would piss me off. I, would, <laughs> I, I just put date stamps on them. That way it's always moving
0: forward. Oh, um, so draft numbers. That's how numbers. You get cut out. Ah, no, I didn't. Okay, it's just wobbly. That's fine.
1: Uh, I started about a year and a half ago or so. Uh, A good friend of mine, Jason Pitt, who wrote a game called Spark, uh, lives in the same city as me and kind of challenged me. Uh, I believe he had this crazy idea that he he got me into game design, would somehow get him out of game design, let you sort of swap out tag team. It is apparently not true. Um, I I did Game Chef about a year and change ago. If you've never done it, highly recommended to you. Yes, go do it. uh, If you don't know what it is, does anyone here not know what Game Chef is? Google it. Yeah. Okay. So you have a couple. It's like uh, a chef challenge. You get a couple of ingredients and themes. You have to write a game in a week, four thousand words or less. Go. Go. Now the best thing about Game Chef. it teaches you the one thing that is the hardest thing to do as a game designer. Finish your fucking game. Thank you, That was
0: well said. That's Um, the hardest thing. Um, And it teaches you to finish something. It won't be good. It won't be pretty. But it will be a thing that you made in a week. And you send it out to other people. And you get constructive criticism. Well, you get criticism. Ideally, it's constructive. (laughs) Sometimes it's just discouraging. Yeah, yeah,
1: well, that's part of the course. But it was really powerful. Uh, I wrote a game, it was complete shit, um, but I had this really cool idea in it, a little nugget. And I took that nugget and I pitched it to some friends at Gen Con, and, uh, who were designers, and they said, why don't you turn this into a thing?
0: So, the uh, we should probably talk about the actual process. Because it, it starts the same no matter what you're doing. Um, I don't... I don't Now, I'm an editor by trade. I make my living editing games in this industry. Uh, You can find my name on things like uh, uh, Marvel Horror Role Playing, the soon-to-be-out Paranet Papers, Fate Core, The Fate Core Worlds, Lice Black Agents, uh, other stuff that I can't think of on top of my head because it's been a long day. Um, So I make my living helping people compose their books and making their games into things that are not just like Word documents that get attached to emails but end up on people's shelves and a drive-through RPG and all that stuff. So the for me the it, this started with this this pressure that well John you've edited 300 something games clearly you must know what makes a good one and that's how this started. This was I have a good idea because it's an idea I like so it's got to be good because I don't have shitty ideas and I must know what I'm doing because look at all this work I've done for other people I'm. That is a terrible recipe for panic and failure because it's, it's sort of true and sort of not. Hey,
1: John, you have a large collection of famous writers of RPGs, and they're like, hey, can you make a game? And don't worry, we won't judge you at all.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it because you just start getting anxious because, oh, my God, I'm trying to be like these guys. These guys are way good. I know they're way good because I've seen their end results. So they're way better than me no matter what I do. That's why I just hired them. Right, I, I dove in, he hired them. This is the divergence in our strategies. So step one when making your game is to have the idea and like your idea. Don't make a game just because you want to make money, because that's, well, that's impossible. You're, you're It's your first game? Um, no. You're, you're going to do that for the love. Just like in publishing, when you write a book, uh, you're not making money on that first book. Short of a miracle, short of something really unique and one percent of the time happening, um, no, you are not going to suddenly retire to Fiji on the sales of your first book on Kindle. So, likewise, your first game um, that might be really great for your friends at home. It might be awesome—the thing you do on Thursday nights. Like, hey, I made this thing. Let's try it. But um, it's not going to be fake or. Um, because core took six and a half years of writing, let alone four years of development. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the
1: famous thing Fred hit, Fred Hicks about Fade core. how do you have a successful Kickstarter that makes a half million dollars? Well, you sell a product for ten fucking years, yeah. and you have a fan base. So,
0: you we need, don't have a fan base. I do. I have fans. <laughs> do I have fans? I have, I have three, because that guy was in my test this morning. <laughs> Sucking Canadian so um there <laughs> yeah exactly um you have Jason that's about all you got you got you got the guy who lives near you there's a couple Canadians at this con
1: yeah um don't don't feed his ego he's Canadian so there's like having a good idea <laughs> is a start it, it's a very important thing is you have to believe in your idea um it, it, it's good to, like, you have to have confidence in at least the core idea. Um, like, what you're trying to do. Uh, Should we talk about the Fantasy Heartbreaker?
0: Yeah, we're, I'm going to talk about the Fantasy Heartbreaker. So there's this thing, if you have not heard this, term, called the your Fantasy heartbreaker. heartbreaker. The Fantasy Heartbreaker is, I also call it the Swiss Army Knife. It's the game that has a lot of little bits that do everything. It doesn't do one thing well, the way a knife would. It's the Swiss Army knife. It does a little knife and a little nail file and a little magnifying glass and a little corkscrew and a little pair of tweezers and a little of this and a little of that. Because you are trying to do a little bit of everything. Now, either that is your original idea which means your game is doing too much sort of like having all those bells and whistles on your car and you never fucking use half of them because who knows what that fourth button on the automatic seat does? No one knows. It's just there. That Trying to do too much is a sign of, of nervousness, of anxiousness. Oh my god, I have to make a thing it's gotten good. I can't have it not do something. Um, no. Yes, you, you can. can. Your game does one thing. I don't know what that thing is, it depends on your game. But your thing does your game does one thing awesomely and two or three things sort of, yeah, well enough. It does not do four things perfectly. If you try to make it do four things
1: perfectly, you'll end up with something that a doesn't, right? Uh, it might, in your own mind, do four things perfectly, but it doesn't on paper. Um, but the big thing is it becomes progressively harder to also, like, how do you even explain that? If you're trying to turn this into a product that you sell, game the games that do everything aren't usually very good at anything. You know, like sometimes they will be good at one thing. Uh, this is where I
0: harp on. Here's an example. So let's say you're trying to describe your game to the person sitting next to you. You might be making a game and go, my game is about zombies. Oh, and it's about car chases. Oh, and it's about uh, superpower teenagers. Oh, and it's about explosions. Okay, which of those things is the most important? You said zombies first, so maybe zombies is most important. No, no the explosions and the and the, and the superpower teenagers are also important. I'm sure they are, but what's the game about? What do I do? How do I play this game? Because I want to play this game. I love playing games, but I need to know what game it is. I need to know what I'm playing. So when you have your idea, where you start with your idea, you've got to be able to explain it to somebody, because how else are they going to play? And I would say, like, to go off
1: this, one, one, one thing, a great, a great thing about looking at games is you want to figure out what a game is about, you look at the text of the game. If, you write, if you're writing a game about the love relationship of, I don't know, 15th century France, and your game is 100 pages long and 65 fucking pages are combat, your game is not about love in France. It's about fucking combat.
0: So fucking a, combat sounds like an awesome yeah, game. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but, so
1: here's the thing is, this is really important. Is if your game is about, this is a classic problem in a lot of games. It, it, like, combat is a big thing. Every, we have to have a combat system. No, you don't. Golden, hey, Golden, Sky, Golden Sky, hey Golden Sky, Golden perfect example. Yeah. There is no combat in Golden Sky stories. Doesn't exist. Um, so the thing is, is, if your game, if your your text is going to represent what your game is about, okay, if your game doesn't have a lot of combat, you shouldn't have a lot of combat rules. If you if your game is, like, I don't know, fang shui, then it should have a shit ton of combat rules. Um, But this is important because a lot of times people go down this path and they they think because they grew up playing D&D, which had very complex combat rules and all sorts of modifiers for everything. You don't need that. You're making your game not someone else's. This would be, I guess, the next thing is, you're making your game not someone else's.
0: Uh, Can I give my example? Sure. So so our games are both apocalypse-world. Um, when I started writing my game, I started like, because I, I originally wrote this game where I tried to combine all the following games together. I tried to combine Fate, Gumshoe, uh, a little bit of Marvel heroic roleplay, playing, uh, this great game called Becoming, and some Fiasco. I tried to combine that all into one game in one system uh, at once. So in order to do something, and it, it was a game about salt. You, you were playing uh, basically Sherlock Holmes. So you were trying to piece together a mystery using clues. You would use one system for clues, one system for solving those clues, one system for getting to locations, one system for being the character, one system for advancing the character. And you would do this every turn. It, 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 wasn't, it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun to write. It was confusing to read when I read it later. So we have Apoc- We have Apocalypse World hacks. So what I thought was, oh, well, Apocalypse World and Dungeon World won these great awards. They're great books. If I make my game read like that game, I will also win awards, because that's how awards work, just like algebra. Um, that's not how awards work at all. But I, my 32nd through 38th drafts, I opened the Dungeon World book, I copied the headers, and then I wrote my own text. And when I sent it to somebody to go, hey, could you read this to see if it sucks? The other thing was, John, you don't have any wizards. Why do you have a section called Wizards? And I'm like, because it's in Dungeon World? And they're like, you're not making Dungeon World, are you? Uh, this was Brian Engard. You're not making Dungeon World, are you? And I'm like, no. Well, then why do you have Dungeon World things in here? I'm like, because that's what wins awards. And he told me the, one of the greatest things I've heard in a while, you don't write a game to win the award. You write a game to win the audience. That's deep. Fuck yeah. Um,
1: along those lines, like, so, uh, like I did Apocalypse World as well, and I had a lot of trouble early on with my game on um, the system. Yep, you know, it's your first game. Uh, best thing Mark, Mark, Truman true, never said to me, well, best and worst. You're making your first game. Uh, in short, he was, tr- basically said, you're making your first game, it's gonna suck. Um, but what he's actually was saying was his follow-up, which was slightly nicer was you're making your first game. your second game will be much better.
0: That's um, why this is my second game.
1: Yeah, this is. I just count
0: game chef as my first, so this is okay. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. That's a balanced strategy. Yeah yeah. So the thing is uh, what I, I didn't I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. like the reason why we live in a wor- a world where there's a lot of fake games and a lot of apocalypse world-based games, is because we all have these really cool ideas of games, and we don't want to... Like, listen, some of these wheels spin just fine, and they work, and they do the things that they want to do. So why not use that? We're familiar with that? Like, if you go to a con like this, and you do a lot less work trying to explain your idea, if you say, and we, don't, you understand fate, okay, so we're halfway into you already understanding how my game works. Now I just need to explain how my ideas work in this world. I'm not saying don't come up with your all your own rule system. Uh, Jason Pitt did that for Spark. Yep. Heavy fucking lifting. You have to do a
0: lot more work. Um, I. It can be worth it. Yeah, if you come up, if you're like, I have a game that uses um, one 12-sided die for everything. I just made shit up. Yeah, if that works for you, do it. Go for it. Push it all the Figure out everything you can do with one die. Go crazy because it, it will work for you. Also, like another thing, like this is something Ryan Macklin
1: said to me, was, uh, who did Mythender, which has like I mean, like 500 dice or whatever. 550. So he said to me, he said, like I, I went through all sorts of permutations with early system ideas. And one of the things he said is, you're making your game make your game. If your game needs 300 dice to play, some people will tell you, don't make that game. And Ryan's perspective, with a lot of profanity, was um if they if they like your game,
0: Fuck. they'll go buy 300 dice to play it. Fuck. You need to insert fucks every two yeah. words when Ryan Macklin speaks. That's more or sense. less
1: what he said, which is the idea is, like if you have a game that requires a tarot deck to play, and it's an awesome game, people will buy tarot cards to play your game. Yeah, Okay. fine. Don't worry about that. If you have a slightly unusual thing, I mean, Dread, for God's sake has Jenga. How many people fucking own Jenga... That they didn't give away to their kids, like I, I mean, there's a whole commodity. I Agenda mean, probably has a resurgence because of dread. Um, so the thing is, you, you can have other things that have slightly complex needs for your game. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, admittedly, here's the thing: if your game sucks, no one's gonna go buy Agenda Tower to play a shitty game. Uh, so there is that
0: kind of. Difference. So here's how you make a game not suck. Uh, step one. You have to write the game. Uh, You have to pick the idea out of your head and put the idea on paper. Uh, And this is for two reasons. One, when you take a game and you put it on paper, it becomes a thing. And things have meaning to people. Ah, I'm working on a thing. As opposed to, I was thinking the other day about doing this. Yeah, I was also thinking about having a milkshake, putting on socks, taking the dog for a walk. But this is a thing I work on. It's an investment of time. Also, um, I don't know if you know this, uh, assuming people buy your game, you cannot be in all their living rooms to teach them how to play it. You can't show up in 95 places at once. If you can, please come talk to me after this panel. I have questions. But uh, you can't be everywhere to run this game for people. You just can't. So you've got to have some way of them being able to take you home with them or date you, I guess, but take you home with them so that they can play your game because that's what they want to do. You might come up with a really
1: cool idea, but if you can't explain it to anyone else, as far as it comes to being a role-playing game, it's actually a pretty shitty idea. I mean, that sounds really well saying. No, right? that sounds perfect. But I keep saying that. The thing is, is that there's nothing wrong. You have to be able to communicate that your concept. You have to be able. I mean. One of the things that I've had a really hard time doing is actually just that. Is like I've run a bunch of playtests, and I've had a good friend of mine run some playtests for me. But a very few number of people have actually run my game. Um, which will tell you an entirely different thing. When somebody else picks up your words and reads it, it'll be like I don't, even, I don't need this massive tome to run my game because I've been running for far too long. So I, I, I have stuff in my head that is all sorts of variations of the game. When people play your game, they're going to read the text. And if it says to do that, they're going to do that. Or, the worst is, they'll read it, and they won't read that one sentence that you think is really fucking important, but you've made it in a small font and no one noticed.
0: Or you buried it in the middle of a paragraph.
1: If, if, if your game, uh, if this entire chapter is about... I don't know using uh is gun is using guns, okay and uh there's a big thing in your game mechanic about weapon maintenance like this is a big thing because it's a post-apocalyptic futures and guns break and you put this at the back of the combat section and no one reads it because it's at the back of a 12 page section. that's almost all chart. yeah that's all yeah then no one tries that mechanic. no one no one notices, no one cares. There's so much things
0: about, uh, that's called order of information, structural editing. So let's talk, so so step one, you have to write the thing. Here's step two, you need to get it edited. I
1: would encourage, there's, there's different kinds of editors. Yes. They're all basically assholes, but there are different <laughs> kinds of them.
0: I'm sitting right here. I know.
1: So there's... I mean, the, in my mind, at least, especially from an early game designer perspective, there's basically developmental editors,
0: yep. and then copy editors. There's, well, other there's a variety of a I'm an editor. I've run all these panels. Sure. There are several kinds of editors, but for primarily when you're making your game, there's two things, you, well, there's really three. There's three things you can look at. There's what's called a, a developmental editor, and his job or her job, mostly they're women, you know, they're just people. Mm-hmm. They're five men, most of them, they're female. Um, Her job is to sit there and say, what's your idea? Okay, let's make your idea have some legs. Let's do more to it. Then there is the structural editor, or the editor. Uh, Their job is to uh, take your idea and um, declutter it, amplify it, polish it, and organize it. That's the bulk of an editorial job. Like, why is this paragraph here? Why is this chapter in this order? What the hell are you saying on page nine? These big, huge things we look at. Finally, there is a copy or proof editor. It's roughly the same task. Uh, their job is to make sure that it looks pretty on the page. You need an editor. Period. Yeah, the middle editor example, which is like
1: I tend to lump structural yes. and developmental together, especially with a, especially with an early text. We forgive you. Yeah, but so uh, it's immensely helpful, and you can uh, I I would say there's a you want to have a bit of meat
0: before you go to this. But then you need text on the page. Yeah.
1: So like I had 10,000 words when I gave it to this guy to, to do that, and it helped immensely because it structured where all the missing pieces were. Uh, why are you talking about this? Uh, like you, you you spent six pages talking about something, but I don't know what your what's your point? You know all this stuff, and it cleans it up a lot. Um, it's helpful, uh, and um, yeah, you'll spend some money.
0: Um it's a also, job. We deserve to get paid.
1: Yeah. Following up to that, um you're in a very small community. Pay your fucking freelancers. Yes, please. If you're doing a game and you want other people to work for you, pay them. Please pay me. Um I can't understate that enough. Um please pay me. The uh I have um I know you did. the uh it's I, I took a different strategy from John because I don't have a lot of background in writing. Uh, I, I do. I'm more of an ideas game design person, that kind of thing. So I wrote a lot of the core components of my. Um, and then I was like, no one wants to read my fiction, so I hired really cool fiction writers, um, like uh, Brian Edgard and, and uh, Lillian Cohen Moore. Uh, and I said, here's my ideas. Turn them into much better. Cooler sounding ideas. And they did it. So, you know, uh, don't, and, and so in my case, because I knew if I had to write the cool damn thing, I'd never finish. It. Uh, so that was the strategy I took. Yes,
0: you can farm out the parts of the job you don't like. Uh, I, for example, uh, cannot draw anything more complicated than a stick figure. So naturally, I'm going to farm the art out. I also suck at layout, it confuses me. The programs are weird. The colors are strange. I don't get it. It seems like magic. So I'm getting a layout person. Also, something that should be pointed out is he may be a professional editor, but he's a moron. If he doesn't hire one, yes, I'm getting actually two because I'm splitting the thing in half. Yeah, well, Well, they they need money too. So the the idea is after you write your game, after you get it all out, I don't care how, okay, so a game is as long as a game needs to be. There is no magic length on a game. Word
1: count. word count is a, when I first started writing, I started thinking of word count, uh, and uh, the, I found a really interesting thing happened for me at about the 10,000 word count. I was like, wow, 10,000 words, this is like a shit ton, this is big. For six months, my game moved between 9,000 and 12,000 words, up and down, up and down, up and down. If I judged on word count, I technically got nothing done over six months. It was really depressing. It's a mistake, because the power of your words is what you're doing, especially at an early stage of your game, where it's really about the big moving parts and what's going on. You know, I would rather have 9,000 awesome words than 50,000, blah, took your sweet time to get something.
0: So you've written it, it's gotten edited. Uh, chances are you'll need art, because people like pretty things, because... Blocks of text are really dry and you have to parse, and the art helps sell the idea you're creating. It gives you a vibe, it gives you a tone, uh, and you can get some artists. Uh, and after artists, you need a layout person to put it all together, to turn your thing into a book, because that's the progression, the idea to thing to book.
1: It's really helpful to do, to parse some of this out.
0: Most of it. Yeah. Um
1: uh, I, one, Thing. so like my friend Jason, he did Spark and he did he took a lot of it on himself. So he did the layout himself, uh, he did some of the tables himself. I did his character sheets. Um, but one of the things I found is is that uh, you get really stressed out if you put it all on you, okay. Especially when you get con season, like you got to get everything ready for Gen Con or Metatopia. The two weeks before the two weeks before you go to Metatopia, if you're playtesting your game, you are a basket case, okay. You are in an insufferable passive taste actually. Um, uh, but the thing is is that when you're going towards publication, uh if you if you have to do layout and you have to do parts of the art or parts of editing and all this stuff, these are all things you have to do. If you have somebody it's worth spending the two hundred dollars or whatever to get somebody else to do it. You're gonna spend money. Right? Okay. But you won't go insane. Um Budget, you know all that stuff, and there's all sorts of panels about kickstarting and how not to, how to do this. Uh, like you're not gonna make money on your first book, but there's all sorts of ways of
0: doing this without like oh, spending ass tons of money. Nope. Yep. So uh, anybody have any questions so far? Otherwise, we'll get more technical. I don't give a shit what question it is. Just ask it. I, I don't. I don't care. I want to hear questions. I... Hi, person in the back with the hat. Hi. Um, I know like, that we sort of done, right. but how do you know when it's done enough to be like... A thing? Yeah. Um, have you said everything you want to say about the stuff that's on the page? <laughs> then it's done, technically. It, it is done when you have exhausted your original line of thought and filled in all the gaps.
1: Going back to one of the earlier points, this is why it's a big fucking mistake to have a game that does everything because you'll never fucking finish. If your game is trying to do one thing really well, and once your game is doing that one thing really well, well then you just need to fill out the bits around that. My game is about shared consciousness. Once I had a game system that was doing that properly, then it was like, okay, what do I need now? I need some technology, I need some fiction, I need some settings, okay. And I'm, like, at a point now where I'm, like, I can see, like, yeah, I, little tiny bits of things that I need to put in there, but it's close. Uh, and it's good to give yourself deadlines. Cons are great. If you go through cons and stuff, they serve really good, valuable deadlines. Like, you know, if you have, like, a, an early concept here, you want to test it. Okay, so what's the next big con you're going to be able to make it to? Maybe it's Nation or something? Yeah. So you say to yourself... Dreamation, which is in February. Right. So in February, it's a couple months from now, gives you a couple of months, four months. I am going to make my thing playable.
0: It doesn't have to be great. It just has to be playable. If, so then if that you'd t- like something less pressury, y because maybe you have a day job or you're in school or you've got kids or something, how about uh, by the time Dreamation rolls around, I want to be able to say I've written 5,000 words. Any goal you can achieve is good, any goal you can achieve and have pushed yourself to get to is better. So yeah, if you can do like, like I used to set really asinine goals for myself because I know I will flake if I get freaked out. So I would go it, it, at the end of the week, Monday, I'll wake up. I want to be able to do 400 words this week. Yeah, 400 words is about a page and a half. Um, it's nothing. It is. It's nothing. It's inconsequential. But I would. I would do that. I'd have that done. While I was having the thought I'd be writing that first page, oh my god, I created words, okay. I'd have to set another goal. And I'd have to go bigger because you can't go smaller when you you go up the staircase. So, okay, I did two pages. Oh my god, what if I did five? I wonder how many pages I could do. Let's just find out. And then it's not a challenge. It's not like, oh my god, if I don't make this, I'm a failure. They're going to chase me out of the keyboard society. They're going to take away my dice. What am I going to do? It turns into... Look how much I got done, and I don't feel pressured about it. Like it's not—it's not this sort of Damocles hanging over my head. It's just, oh, I made a thing. Holy shit, I made a thing. So
1: after you have that thing, you're gonna want to try it. Yeah. Now I have friends. Most of my friends are jerks. I'm shocked, you have friends. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's Canada. There's like five of us. We get to know each other. <laughs> um, my, most of my friends are jerks. And no shit, uh, really, would say more. Yeah. And uh. But they've been gamers for a long time, and so they helped the first pass. Because let's face it, if it blows up with your friends or your gamer friends who will say the nicest things or the worst thing they could ever say to you about your game is
0: not that bad. Okay? It wasn't fun this week. Next week, can we go back to whatever other game we were playing? That's really the worst. They are not, unless you've like made a game where it's like, fuck Mark Richardson, roll D6. Unless it's that. I am so writing that game now. So I'm awkward. Oh, I forgot you were here. So um, as long as your game is not personally just like, attack your friends in some malicious way, chances are if they don't like it, they'll just go, I don't like this. Let's go back and do something else. And yes, later maybe down the road they'll go, when they get really hammered, they'll go, "Who at that time you tried to make a game. Oh, that
1: was good. But here's the thing. if your friends love your game? Yeah, it's great. Good for you. But um, your friends aren't your audience. I mean, if, if you never want to publish it, your friends are your audience. But if you want to publish it, they aren't. And you want to move away from your friends as fast as humanly possible.
0: You want to test this with people who don't know you. People who hate you are actually preferable. Friends are not critical. I don't care what you say. Your friends are not critical. They're biased. Because either they're going, don't make a face like that guy in the second row, I'm going to totally tell you why. Here's why friends are biased. Yeah, I can totally see you guys. I know, I'm going to call you up the fuck out. That's the guy who made the face, everybody. So here's why friends are biased. Because even though they might have a problem with a thing they're doing, they're still telling you about it. They're still your friend. You can, outside of that exchange of information, dude, what the fuck did you write in that chapter? That's fucking lame. Outside of that, they're still going to go, you want to go to the movies this Saturday? They're still your friend. If what you've written has so damaged your friendship, they weren't your friend to begin with. So friends will naturally want to say either really nice things, like patronizingly really nice things, like, oh, dude, it's all right. It's good. It's fine. You know, that shit you tell your mom to get her off the phone. Um, oh, it's all right. It's cool. cool. It's all right. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Well, as someone as someone said to me recently, if
1: uh, like designers, and this is the other thing is, don't just talk about your game with designers. Like, no. you have to play it with other people. Here's the problem. i Oh you can guess, but I think I told you who said this. But don't survive. Don't surround yourself with designers and Sega fans because I know who said yeah, that. Yeah, because you it, it wasn't you, me. Yeah. Because you'll get a thing, yeah, and you might get a thing that's a cool design, but there's cool designs. There's games that are cool designs that no one ever plays.
0: I have an entire file in Dropbox that's just really cool ideas. They're done. They are whole mechanics I can just give off to somebody to do a thing. They'll never go anywhere, because they were never challenged.
1: So you need to challenge your idea with people playing it. I mean, conventions like this are the ideal place to do that. You get it together, you you throw it down, you spitball it with other people. You're, it doesn't happen. This is the big thing is, your game, when
0: you first try it, will probably explode. Yes, you want that. I'm learning that lesson. I don't get it. So what you want to do, especially at a convention like this, is you want your game to suck. Here's why you want your game to suck. Because this whole point of this convention is to... Take things that suck and make them better. If your game is great and there's not a whole lot to talk about, you just go to the next step in the process. Go publish it, then, it's that good. If your thing sucks, then you get like really talented, creative people saying, well, this is good, but if we do A, B, and C, it could be better. Then you know you've got to go back, push yourself to do A, B, and C, and then you get a better product in the end. You have to challenge yourself. The best thing you can do is go to a group of people and go, I don't know any of you. Do you want to play a game? And you give it a shot. I mean, so there's,
1: within that, I would generally say, like, uh, you have to be willing to take criticism. You have to be, and by take criticism, I don't mean write down the notes. I mean change your game. Okay? So you're still doing your concept, and it is true. So you're going to get criticism and you're going to say you
0: just don't get it.
1: That's fair enough. But if you're always saying it,
0: you're the one not getting it. Yeah. Period.
1: Um, there's, which also goes back to having a good, strong thesis for your game. If you're trying to do this one thing, it's possible, like, uh, I don't know, somebody gave a criticism for Headspace where, uh, well, we all seem to be working really well as a team. What if, how, how do we have dysfunctionality? Like, how do I betray my friends? This isn't that game.
0: You want to go betray your friends? Play Shadowrun, you know? Um, totally be the guy in the van doing the hacking. Can trade everyone because yeah, you never can talk exactly. this, to this game's
1: about teamwork so i was i was able to say to myself <laughs> like i was able to say to myself you're not this isn't that's not my game my game is this you can't separate that's that's a feedback thing but it's also valuable to know that but um you know it, it's helpful like when people give you feedback and say like this isn't doing the thing it's not making it's not fun you know that's the hardest thing you have to do with game design They're trying
0: to make something fun. All right, here's the tricky bit about fun. I'm going to really be careful not to rant so I can answer more questions. Fun is subjective. What makes it fun for me is likely not what makes it fun for you. We might have some common territory, but individually we find fun on our own. we got 20 minutes. Yeah, all right. The, um, The thing there is to not maximize fun for one person and exclude the other. Nor is it the idea to. Oh, Mark is just walking the fuck away, everybody. Water. Oh, all right, that's fine. So, um, I thought he was leaving. I was getting very excited. <laughs> so, um, the idea is you're not trying to water the fund down so it's 100 for this guy and 0 for that guy. The idea pretty much is what can we do to get them to like 85 to 90% for everybody? Because you are going to get people who hate your game. Oh, you are yeah. going to get people who hate your game because your title is blue or because you use the word apocalypse on the cover, or because your name is Chester, or because uh, your book is an odd number of pages, or because they think you're an asshole. Yeah. So they will find her, people will find a reason to hate
1: you. I asked John, what's the shittiest playtest you've ever had? And you said, the one where the
0: guy walked out five minutes into the game? Yeah. He just straight got, he was like, fuck. He, he didn't say, fuck it. He took my book and slammed it on the table and was like, no, this isn't fun. And then he walked out five minutes in, which had the effect of souring the other six people playing, so then nobody had to be fun. Don't so be that guy. Don't leave. No. Just, like,
1: walk out of the room or
0: Just say, it. I'm sorry, this really isn't my experience. Thanks so much. I hope you guys really love it. And then leave. Do it better. And don't be a dick. Just <laughs> be better than that, right? So when you make a thing and you edit the thing and you take the thing out and you show it off, Make sure there are people who you are showing it to who don't have any reason to say it's the perfect thing in the world. People you don't know are great because they don't know you. So they don't know, like, you might be really sensitive about something. So they're not going to, you know, oh, I can't talk about that with him. He'll he'll cry on his blog. So instead, I won't say anything about it. But if I do random people, you don't know me from a hole in the wall. So you'll tell me, like, what the fuck is going on with your characters, John? Your numbers don't add up. You can't get two plus one and get six. It just no, it doesn't work that way. So you 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 test out the the sense. And you figure out what works by shoving it to a, a wealth of people. I always like to have people who hate me play a game because I take the people who like it and discount them. Oh, your game is great. It does me no good professionally. It doesn't tell me where it was okay. It doesn't tell me what they like. They just blew smoke at my ass. So fuck them. They're out. People who hate me just hate me. I'm not going to listen to them either because their comment is not about my game, it's about me. So they're out. That leaves the rest of the room, you guys are the ones who are positive feedback. Oh, I like this, but I would like it more if. Or oh, I didn't like this because we didn't get a chance to do it. And you start compiling a list of, oh, maybe I need to do this a little more and that a little less. And you make a thing. Any other questions? Yes, sir. I was going to say something. Right. Well, then go say something, right. damn it.
1: And then we'll get to the man's question. Well, what's your question? And maybe, maybe it's what I was going to ask.
0: Sure, it is. Just ask your damn question. Okay, so the question is actually rather specific. Oh, I like specifics. I'm an okay, editor. So you make the tape, you show it off, it blows up in your face. Yep. Uh, you go, you take the criticism, you tweet yep. it. Yep. How do you, personally, I guess, um, check the tense of the game? How do you know that what you're doing is balanced? I,
1: I, In my process, give it to an editor. It, 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 uh, that's helpful. Uh, in my process, uh, play it more. I have like I have a good friend, where Jason. I bounce all my ideas off him over beers and stuff, and we figure out things. and okay. Let's even. Yeah, he gave a specific, specific, question, specific question. Right, specific, right? a specific is answer.
0: Like if you have certain mechanics that you've created, right, and you are just not sure in the end. Wow, is this balance uh, probably it. right? Play, know, it. Just play it. Play it. Play it. If it doesn't work, change, if, if you're like I don't know if plus five is the right number. Has anyone here heard of playstorming? That's a good one. Okay, apparently
1: not. So PlayStorming is, I've not done it, but it sounds cool. Basically, PlayStorming is you start playing the game. Like what you say, here's my mechanic, you get together with, it's good with friends. You get together with some friends, you're like, here's my game with my shitty idea or my, I think it might work. Let's play a scene. You get halfway through the scene and realize this isn't working. So PlayStorming is, okay, well rather than go home and cry, we all, as a group, just like playstorm, brainstorm, what, what would, would make, what it would make this work? Well, what if I roll another d6 into that? Okay, let's keep doing the scene, and now we're rolling two d6 to see what happens. Well, it leans this way. It's getting better, this is worse. Then you change stuff up. So, playstorming is like, don't be worried. You don't have to come into a playtest with, like, I'm going to test this thing, and if it doesn't work, I'll fuck it, the four hours is a waste. If it doesn't work two hours into your playtest, you know, maybe take five minutes and then think about it and like change and go. When I was at Gen Con, I, I bought my game, uh, I ran one game with with him. Yep. And I was like We you were know, in the
0: hotel lobby. Yeah. It was awesome.
1: And I but I was like, uh, after the game I was like, you know, this mechanic that always kinda of bugged me, it's not sticking. Fuck it. It's off. And Every time I ran at the rest of the con, I was like, uh, like I had redlined out sections, uh, you know, like don't be afraid to change it. Or if it's not, you know, like. And the other thing that's valuable too is, uh, like, let's say you're running two games at, at, at say, Manitopia, Try one game with X mechanic idea. Try another game with Y mechanic idea. So. It's because it's going to change the way, say, like, let's say my game has tracks that move when you do things. So it's like, well, let's try this mechanic that might move those tracks up and this mechanic that just leaves them alone. Does this make a difference? So then you, as the, the players, don't inherently get a different experience. But you're making notes. You're seeing how your game is doing things. And you're like, well, this did that. This did that. What is the thing? What's the experience that I wanted them to get?
0: So that's one way of playing with that. Uh, a corollary. Don't tell them that you're changing the mechanic from the base of the time, because you'll bias them. If you go, oh, well, in the morning, I'm playing with X, but tonight I'm playing with Y. Unless you totally know your players, whatever Y is is what's on the page. They don't have to read it. They don't know. Tell them this is the game. This, this is what we're playing. And if they go, well, this totally doesn't work, well, then you know Y is off the table. It doesn't work. So then you go try another group, and you're like, well, I'm going to call it Z in my head, but they don't know that. To them, it's X, so them, it's the first time they've ever seen it. They don't need to know that, oh, my God, I was in the bathroom all morning vomiting about how nervous I was about my game. So, <laughs> like, that really happened today, you guys. So, awesome. That's awesome. uh, right. He gets it. It's yeah. totally in awe, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it was awful. I am super nervous about tonight. It's not even funny. So, uh, yes, Josh, I swear I'm going to give you your question. Give me, like, two seconds. Oh go ahead, Megan. Um sure that uh borrowing uh true from uh video games about how you balancing the numbers making sure that if it, not necessarily of a class based system, but the numbers will work on a curve for one set of layers players uh, as opposed to the other So But just making sure that powers
1: or you can actually graph that individual
0: there are websites you can use for yes. dice probability curves.
1: Also, one of the things that I'm not a fan of dice probability curves because I found that I run that play tough. Oh, but I run two play tests and like maybe in my morning play, like my game is all about emotional complication. I played a whole play test. Nobody rolled lower than a ten. Two dice it was boring. I was like, fuck, somebody roll low already. Everybody was like, "This could be really cool if we like rolled like normal people." And then the next playtest, no one could apparently roll more than four, and it was like uh, the crazy land party. Um, so it was weird. So like theoretically, it was the game was supposed to fall in the middle space? Mathematically, it falls in the middle yes. space, but it doesn't mean when you're playtesting, and you got to be, be aw- aware of that, right? Like you can. The bell curve says this should happen. But you may have in a two-hour game nothing like that curve, you know, and, and that's the but that's the it's going to happen, you know. We all we've all played D D where you can't hit the broadside of a barn and 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 the low-level kobolds eat you alive, you know. Um, one one thing I was going to say uh, in terms of uh, play testing, so some of the tricks that I've learned for taking feedback. Okay. Um, I find getting mechanical feedback, most of the time, fairly useless. Uh, which is to say, if somebody says, well, I think this plus three needs to be a plus four, most of the time that is not
0: valuable to me, because it's generally self-serving. Yeah,
1: it's like, I wanted my character to be more badass. Well, good for you. I want the whole game to work. You know, um, What I do find, I find emotional resonance is more important to me as a designer. Uh, There's a process. Something I do every time I playtest is something, is like a process called Roses and Thorns. It's super simple. Worst case scenario, you can do it in about 10 minutes. I like am 10. now going
0: to trash Roses and Thorns as a critical model. Go ahead, finish your thing, and I'll tell you why it's shitty. It's
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, simple. Cool. I'm curious. Okay. So, okay, the so first.
1: the way Roses and Thorns work is uh, you go around the table and you ask each, each person to. Uh, You've played the game at this point um uh and give me a rose, something about the game that you enjoy. Uh, uh and usually it goes more on an emotional level, which is to say, I had fun doing this. Now fun's really subjective and that's probably what you're going to attack. No. Um but anyway, you go around so you get some you get it helps get a focused feedback of here's a thing that they like, here's a thing they like, here's the thing they like. Then you do the same thing for a thorn, something you didn't like. You know. Um and it could be a mechanic whatever, but you usually... I usually try to say, like, what's a scene that didn't work well? Because I know what was going on in some of the mechanics, okay? Like, I could see people rolling low or whatever, so maybe the reason they didn't have fun was that. Um, Now, what I would say is a Roses and Thorns by itself isn't that useful, but if you do like, when I was at Gen Con, I ran five games, and I had five sets of Roses and Thorns, and I started to see commonalities. You know, um from a whole bunch of different people who didn't know saying different things. Certain thorns were recurring, certain roses were recurring. Uh, Why do you hate that
0: item? Because if the roses you receive are emotional, like, I really like this, um, that does me no good. I'm glad you liked it. I'm very happy for you. But um, I need to know what... I I need the thorns up front. Also, uh, if you really had a visceral, nasty experience, Uh, Your rose is going to suck, and your thorn is going to be a dagger. So I I would much rather have you just tell me flat out, yeah, most of this worked for me. Here's what didn't, and be objective. Because your emotional answer is not, I can't go home and go, well, Joe really liked my game. I can't, well, I can't codify that. I'm if your saying, name is Joe, you get a plus one. Yeah, yeah. no, no.
1: All I'm saying, the, the strength of roses and thorns is it, it's a way of doing, getting really quick feedback. Like, essentially, what do you like, what do you not like? But do it slightly more constructive. Um, yes. One of the, and, and, and do it quickly. Because, like, if you have a two hour playtest slot, like a lot of us do today, like, alright, everybody eventually gets into the room, that's fifteen minutes. Okay. Uh, if you want to have that's 15, the- What kind of game are you in? I walk in the rooms already ready to go. Um, but nobody knows when the, Cana- it's like, like I'm Canadian, why would I show up? Anyway, well, that is so true. You are Canadian. So the uh, one 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 strategy I found that's really useful when I get feedback, uh, just in general. Every time anyone tells me you should do this, or this should be this, or that should be that, in my notebook, I write that sentence, and I put a question mark in the end. And I do not make any attempt to answer that question today or tomorrow. Uh, maybe about a week from now, I will crack open my Metatopia notes, and I will look at all the questions there. So these were ideas and proposals that people made, but I just turned them into open-ended questions. And I look at that question, and I say, you know, is this valuable to me? Is, is answering this valuable? And I found that process somewhat useful. Yeah, that, I like that process. Um, and, and, and the reason you do it, turn it into questions is it no longer becomes uh, the knights. Like yeah, so somebody says the knights, uh, you know, the knights shouldn't have two-handed swords, and then you turn it in you, in your notes. You go, should the knights always have two-handed swords? Question mark.
0: It sounds. It, like, I mean, it's leave really it, it as a statement. Tim said knights shouldn't have swords. Well, that just makes Tim critical. Yeah, of course that's, that's not supportive. That's not gonna help. So
1: I don't have it listed with people. I just have like this play test group have these questions, this playtest group had these questions. You look at all those and then you go through and you go, is this worth I mean you might look at it and go, I don't I don't give a shit and, and just strike it out. But other times you'll find answering that question, especially two weeks later, really
0: valuable. Give them two handed sort of chunks. Questions. Last question, because we're done. Last question. Anybody? Real? Following up, I'm sorry,
1: very briefly on that. I can do two questions. So I don't give a shit. Number
0: of play tests, like him asking about mechanics. Mm-hmm. After ten play tests, you generally get a good sense of yes, the mechanics work because you've got a a base curve at that point. Like where do the averages finally start to kick in? All right. So I have no idea. I have two answers to this question, mm-hmm. dear. Uh, question answer one. Um, pick a number. Have that many playtests. Okay. Or, uh, once you start getting the same feedback two or three times in a row, you know to stop questioning it. Okay. So yes, you can have a game in developmental feedback land for, uh, years. Paramet, Marvel, Dresden, etc., 8 um, and it could just, it could just stay there, because it also could just turn into developmental hell. Where it's, it never gets out. It never goes off and does stuff. Because there's always more questions. Eventually you just got to put your foot down and go,
1: this is the best. I've mean, I played this
0: thing 45 times. I'm making numbers up. I've played 45 times. So the the averages, if you're looking for wrote numbers, because that helps, two or three. Maybe four. But not like crazy volumes. Okay. Yes, sir. And then I'm grabbing that lady and then we're good to go. Yes, sir. When you had your uh, your playtest and had the outliers that didn't try the bell curve, did you make any adjustments to the rules after that point? Or did you just say well,
1: it just didn't work out? The um, way? I've yeah, I've tweaked some things sometimes. Like, uh, uh, I noticed some sometimes like like when I had some, I had more of the outliers, but the outliers were also telling me something where I was like, I don't, I tweak the rules a little bit to try to eliminate. Parse that out a bit, like where I, I sort of said I, I would rather them get slightly higher rules than have this chance of falling into this abyss. At least for my game, um,
0: for uh, smaller things, I made changes. If, if you were, if people were like, oh, I wish that could be a plus two, would be a lot easier. Because I'm always getting this, I'm always finding this thing. Yeah, and then take a plus two, and that's great. But for the bigger stuff, where it would spell out like loads of rewrites, I'd have to like reconstruct what I think is a major theme or idea. No, I just let them alone and let that person not like a thing because that's more on them than me because I don't have, I can't please everybody. Yes, ma'am. Hi, ah, you're our last question tonight. Ooh, okay. I'm doing some uh, family-friendly card game. Cool. Any suggestions? About what? Like the cards, like giving an editor. It's not, it's not text. You know, not text, and text. Your game doesn't have any text. No, it's not like there's like a 17 page notebook. How are you getting there? How is it going to be printed? The text has to be somewhere, right? Yes. It can good. get edited. Yes.
1: The hardest thing in okay so to go with this, one of the hardest things in game design is less words yes right? yes, um, All it's the yes. Easy, yeah it's very easy in the, it's way easier to write something way big. Uh, if you try to get things that are more condensed, I mean, uh, like Epidaea did a game that exists on a business card. That's insane, okay? It's cool, though. It's cool, but here's the thing is, if you if your game is being explained by 250 words, those have to be goddamn amazing 250 words. Every word of those 250 words need to be like 1,000 times better than everything in, in like 10 pages of the core. So, uh yeah, editor. You know, um, an editor helps with that. So like, if even if your if your game is explained with you know six pages of tiny little text, um, if no one can understand those six pages, it doesn't. You're not going to get what you want. So, um, there are certainly people who have more experience with card games. Um, and you can hunt them down and find editors. Ask them, hey, you know people who are good with doing this kind of thing? We have a
0: list. Yeah. Well, I have a list. Um, So that's it. It is now six-ish. You can go forth and do things. Oh, I can.